You wanted to see me, Miss Swinton? Have you been hearing about the new government modernization efforts? AI, RPAs, data science. Things are changing at this agency, and people will need new skills. Oh. I'd like you to get some training. Huh. Look at this management concepts catalog. Wow, over 275 courses. That's right, in local classrooms or instructor-led online classes. We still have budget in this fiscal year, so sign up online. Advance your career with courses from Management Concepts. Get a catalog at managementconcepts.com or call 833-578-8466. Leftovers. Or... The DMV. Number 97. Or... House cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello everybody and welcome back. Thank you very much for joining me. My name's Deborah Hatswell and you're listening to BBR Investigations. The Scottish place as giants walk by. Hi Deborah. I wrote in because I wanted to tell you about an experience that we had. Myself and my girlfriend when we were touring Scotland. We went to uh, a wedding we were attending in Glasgow and my girlfriend's family were from there. And I, of course, wanted to go and see Loch Ness. At the wedding, I was asked by lots of people about where we were visiting. And when I said Glencoe, every single one of them said, seriously, no, you don't want to go there, son. Anyway, we did go there. We arrived at a very quiet and not at all full hotel. The lady who greeted us showed us to a room at the back of the house. And my girlfriend went to check out the bathroom. No more than 20 seconds later, she comes out, looks me straight in the eye and says, we can't stay here and I'm not using that bathroom. And she motions me to the door. Now, I can usually tell you if there's a ghost around and that room was just dripping with that malicious right behind your shoulder feeling. The air was almost sweaty with hatred. It was really intense. So we looked in our hotel tourism guide and by this time it had reached dusk, as we'd arrived late afternoon. And my girlfriend found a hotel in Oban about 30 so miles away. She calls them up. And when the lady on the phone hears that we're in Glencoe, she says, Oh, I understand. As if this happens all the time. And she regularly receives urgent room requests from terrified tourists in Glencoe. All the time, the feeling in the room was growing more intense. And we just stuck our cases and left the room. My girlfriend was so spooked by that place that she was convinced that we'd been deliberately put in that room by the landlady and she didn't want to call her, so we just left. We got outside of the car park and it was dusk and the air was foggy. What light there was was fading fast and we were at the open boot of the car putting the cases in when from nowhere these two giants walked out of the mist and they were heading towards us. I put down the cases, I turned towards them, standing up as straight as I could, you know, like you do, when preparing to confront someone being in the dark. They were huge. 
both in height and girth, and the feeling coming off them was just cold. They were at least six inches to a foot taller than me, and both had long, thick hair tied back behind their necks. They were dressed in leather trousers and leggings, which were like those you'd see in a period mover or something like Highlander. They didn't look as if they'd come from a shop or they were dressing up. The two men were wearing similar rough tall boots and they both had gloves secured with straps on their arms. Each man's leg was strapped with a huge hunting knife. They probably walked off first 20 feet towards us as I was trying to look as if I wasn't intimidated, standing my ground facing them both. As they got to our position, their path took them within touching distance of me and they didn't even glance at me. It seemed to me as if they were both on another level. It was not even indifference. They just acted like we were not there. As they stepped past us, a feeling of the wild washed off them, and it was cold and wild like the hills, but with another feeling of deep, strong resolve. That's the closest way that I could describe it. I've never felt that feeling from any other human. And these two giants were on a mission, and we were like the fog to them. And as I said, they were the least human humans that I've ever seen. It was almost dark as they walked off onto the grass and up the hill and they disappeared in the fog and we just looked at each other in disbelief, jumped in the car and floored it like we'd just robbed the place. I mean, we actually did spin the car and screeched the tyres as we left. Without doubt, this area is the most wrong place that I've ever been. The hotel room was extreme, but not scary for me. It affected my girlfriend much worse. But those Highlanders were from another dimension or something. I can remember how small and fake I felt squaring up to them in the fog, like I was nine years old, trying to protect my mum from a monster. There were giants of men, and they didn't even see us, and that was freaky. They just were doing something far more important. The feeling of resolve from them was very strong, also the feeling of the wild too. I have no idea who or what they were or why they were walking off into the haunted hills in the dark with no lights. But if I was an evil force or a monster, I would have been scared of those two for sure. It felt like they were going to kill something. And that was it. A very short and odd experience. I will never even drive through that area again. And I would rather do a 200 mile detour to avoid it, let alone stay there. Thanks, Deb. I had forgotten how intense it all was until I wrote it down to send across to you. It only lasted for probably 20 seconds, but I can still see them now. For some reason, I can't picture their eyes. They had big, long, angular faces, but I can't remember their eyes at all. Could our witness have seen one of the Glen clansmen, two of the Glen clansmen, I should say, heading out for battle? The Glencoe Massacre took place in 1691 and because of the significant amount of losses from the MacDonald clan of Glencoe, mm. it is no surprise that this place has gained a reputation of being haunted by those clan members. Many people believe that if you walk the West Highland Way in winter, aside from the fact that the weather sets a particularly spooky atmosphere, mm. 
you are likely to experience something with one of these clansmen or even the famous ghost of Glencoe. Our next report comes from Yorkshire and a wonderful lady called Pat. Pat actually writes uh, crime books for anybody that's interested and I can always put you in touch with Pat. But these are some reports that happened to her and her family members when she was growing up. She said, I must say, I've listened to some of your podcasts recently and I'm amazed how many of the experiences that are shared correspond with my interests and experiences. I've enjoyed them immensely. And I'll give you a potted history of my experiences with the paranormal and how a huge gap in experiences occurred due to the willful closing down at the age of 11. Lots of people ask me about that. It is possible. Anything can shut you down, really. You can do it by will, but fear will do it. Um, any very strong emotion can switch off, shut down people with abilities. I think most children have them um, and the switching off happens eight, nine, ten years of age. But let's get back to Pat. Pat said, my first known experience would have been around the age of seven or eight and it took place where my family lived, in a council house on an ordinary estate in Halifax, West Yorkshire. It was a pokey property, just two medium-sized bedrooms and a box room, which housed my only brother. My three sisters shared the middle room with me. Two of them were older and one younger. The older ones stayed up later while my younger sister and I went to bed about 9pm. One winter's night, I found it difficult to sleep as my younger sister, about three at the time, she seemed to be having nightmares. She was tossing around and muttering in her sleep and I was getting well teed off in the next bed. So I did something I rarely did, which was turn to face the wall. Doing this always creeped me out for some reason, so I never did it willingly. And it usually only happened as a result of me waking up in that position. The reason I hated it so much was the fact that the light from the landing shone straight onto the wall and would kick up all manner of shadows, depending on how my bedding peaked and troughed. This night, what I saw was no shadow. I saw what I thought was a hand coming through the wall, followed by an arm, followed by a shoulder. And at that point, I buried my head under the covers, fearing what would come next. I was shaking and sweating and feeling ill. And then I began to feel my bed covers move and they were being pulled off with such force. I didn't have enough strength to hold on to them. And as much as I didn't want to, I opened my eyes. And that was when I saw my first full apparition. An old man was just standing there in the middle of the room. He was wearing a shirt with what I now know to be a false collar. And he was wearing an old fashioned black suit and the shiniest shoes that I've ever seen. He had a smirk on his face and his hand moved towards his chest. Either I hadn't noticed before or it had appeared without me realising, but I could see there was something large and glittery that hung around his neck. And this is what he was holding on to. I had no idea what it was, nor what he wanted. And just as suddenly he appeared, he was gone. Many years later, I found out that this was the home of the old mayor of the borough. And that was the beginning of three years of hell for me. Not wanting to go to bed when I should, sticking to adults like glue, 
running in my parents' room at night when he appeared and insisting I sleep with them. It was the only place I felt safe. And as you can imagine, it didn't go down well. 60 years ago, when attitudes were completely different. That persisted for the next three years until I heard my mum and my dad having a conversation about taking me to the doctors. I took my comment. You wanted to see me, Miss Swinton? Have you been hearing about the new government modernization efforts? AI, RPAs, data science. Things are changing at this agency and people will need new skills. Oh. I'd like you to get some training. Huh. Look at this management concepts catalog. Wow, over 275 courses. That's right, in local classrooms or instructor-led online classes. We still have budget in this fiscal year, so sign up online. Advance your career with courses from Management Concepts. Get a catalog at managementconcepts.com or call 833-578-8466. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Went to the bedroom to read. And it was a Sunday morning. It was a beautiful sunny day. And as I read, I noticed something over my right shoulder. And I was horror-stricken to see that now familiar arm. And this was the first time it had happened in the daytime. As I thought of all the nights of terror I'd endured, something just snapped. I was 11 years old and the red mist just descended. As I screamed and shouted at the arm, it became frozen in its tracks. I was basically telling it to F off and all manner of other swear words. I ended up by saying I never wanted to see it again. And it worked, as I never did see it or him again. I think I basically shut off that stream of consciousness by instinct because nobody else knew about the experience. So there was no one to give me any advice. I hadn't spoken to anybody about it. Apart from the odd occurrence in my teens, one of which was even more terrifying. And even though it was a shared experience, I remained spirit-free, basically, until 40 years later. There is one more recent experience that I had that is hard to explain. I assume what I saw would be classed as a shadow man, but I'm not sure if that's correct. On the 20th of November, 2010, my sister and I went to the Sage in Gateshead to see Mary Shopping Carpenter on tour. As we live in West Yorkshire, that meant travelling down the M1, the A1, to get home. The performance ended very late, well after 11pm. And as I was the only driver at the time, I wanted to get home rather quickly before tiredness crept in. I couldn't believe my luck with the traffic, and there was hardly any. And as I'd recently acquired a new sporty type car, and the weather was brilliant for the time of year, I decided to open her up a little bit and see what she could do. We reached an unlit section somewhere between Weatherby and Leeds, 
and on the left there was an odd few buildings. On the right, over the northbound side, was what looked like a retaining wall. It looked as though the road had been cut through the side of the hill. My sister was faffing around with the new CD that we'd bought at the stage, which made me glance over to the passenger side that she was sitting. Outside her window was completely black, even though we had plenty of light being given off by the waxing gibbous moon. I began to feel very twitchy. I checked my speeder, I was doing 90 on the inside lane, and there were no other cars in sight anywhere. We were completely alone, something I'd never experienced anywhere along that road before. I blinked, I looked through her window again, and it was still completely black. Suddenly there was a movement as we emerged from a slight bend in the road. This tall, dark figure, he was shaped like a man, ran past me, going at an amazing speed, as I was still doing 90 miles an hour at that point. He ran until he was a few yards in front of me, and then he shot across the road. I automatically swerved the car into the outside lane, like you do when you see something human-shaped in front of you. But this time, it was disappearing into a small wall opposite. After my sister made the comment, what the was that? I was tempted to pull the car back onto the hard shoulder just to recover. But then my thought was, what if the bloody thing comes back? So I pulled back into the slow lane, but I kept my speed up. I asked my sister what she'd seen, and she described it the same way as me. But she only spotted it once it had begun to run across the road. I swear it was blacker than black. We discussed it again today. And it was definitely not the play of any car headlights or even the moon. It wasn't a shadow. It was what it was. And we know what we saw. She said, I had an experience in my teens that still puzzles me if you want to know about it, Deb. So, of course, I said, I'm happy to take whatever report you prepared to give me, Pat. So even after this podcast, there will be some further reports coming from Pat. But this is um, something that happened when she was 14. And I think this ties into the theory that we have that, you know, uh, experiences like these happen and run within families. This is the South Kirby Green Man. When I was 14, my parents allowed myself, my younger sister Julie and my friend Joyce to travel to my elder sister June's house in South Kirby. It's a little mining village near Doncaster. The idea was we'd stay a couple of weeks during the school holidays just to give us something to do, really. The first night we stayed over, Joyce and I stayed up fairly late with June. We were nattering away until the early hours, which we were able to do because my brother-in-law was on the night shift down the pit. We went to bed around 2.30am and we were sharing a quite big double bedroom with my niece, Lynn. Joyce and I took Lynn's bed by the window while she topped and tailed with Julie in a put-you-up-by-the-door. June had the master bedroom at the front, and my nephew dug the small back bedroom. All the bedrooms opened onto an uncarpeted small landing, which held the wooden stairs leading down to the ground floor entryway. You'll understand why I've described the layout later in the story. As my friend and I lay awake, talking about what we would be doing later that day, we both heard some weird noises. A kind of strange chinking sound, like metal or metal, like someone eating out of a tin. I have no idea how to describe the noise, but it carried on for quite some time. 
along with a couple of creaks of wood, as if someone was walking around. Eventually, we ignored it and we fell asleep. That evening, Joyce and I went to the local youth club for the night and eventually getting back around 10pm. The three of us had a fish and chip supper and then we played cards until about half past one in the morning. June went to bed first, leaving Joyce and I to finish our ablations in the downstairs bathroom. As a joke, I turned the light off on her, but she began to freak out and I turned it back on. For some reason, we both felt a bit jumpy, so we hurried to finish off and get to bed. I let Joyce lead the way upstairs and I brought up the rear, turning off all the lights and closing each door behind me. We got settled in, but I noticed both of the young ones in the beds beside us began rambling and thrashing about as though they were sharing a bad dream. Then the noises began again, much louder than the night before. The chinks of the night before became clangs and creaks. The heavy footsteps that sounded really loud, even though we got the door closed, continued. The temperature in the usually toasty warm room plummeted and it got really cold really quickly. We could see our breath, even though it was the height of summer. The younger kids were still tossing and turning and their mumblings got louder, as though to drown out the approaching sound. At this point, Joyce and I shot under the covers. We were both dithering with fear as we followed the sound of the footsteps to our door. There was a short pause where we heard no noise and I was so grateful for that because I was suffocating. I sat up, suddenly. Something hit the door so hard it sounded as though it had splintered the wood around the handle. The door hit the inbuilt doorstop twice before coming to rest in an open position. I was frozen in fear. My teeth were literally chattering. Joyce was still under the covers, shaking with fear. I watched wide eyes as I noticed a mist that was rising from the floor at the side of the young'un's bed. Now, they were now completely silent. They, they weren't rumbling, they weren't saying anything and they weren't tossing and turning. That mist rose up, swirling around, changing in both shape, colour and form. All of a sudden, it looked as though it had been sucked into a shape. There, facing us, as clear as day, was a green man. He stood stock still, as though he was intent on staring out of the window. He was old, thin, bald and wrinkled. His arms were really thin and the, it was creased around the neck of the shirt. You could see where it hung off him. He did have wrinkled trousers. They were kept in place by a belt pulled so tight it wrinkled the material. I couldn't tell you what colour his clothes were because everything looked a pale, slimy green colour. Anything of his footwear we couldn't see. They were hidden. I could see every minute detail about him in that moment though. I think I could have counted the hairs of his scruffy whisker given long enough. And then he began to move and I realised that I couldn't. He moved his body slowly, turning slightly so he was now facing us directly. I had no idea that Joyce had resurfaced or when she'd even done that. He tilted his head down. Until then, he just looked like a staring man with a blank facial expression. He looked me straight in the eye and his face morphed 
into the most evil grinning sneer that I've ever seen. It was hideous and insidious. It was as though he was reaching right into my mind, trying to somehow fix his image there forever. He was taunting us. Of that, I have no doubt. The evil just dripped off him. His soul was just evil. He finished his performance by laughing at us, his mouth open, eyes looking up, shoulders moving, yet emitting no sound. In a way, that made it worse. And then he faded away to nothing. I sat still for what seemed like hours and then something in my mind seemed to snap. I took a deep breath and screamed, the most blood-curdling one that I could muster, or at least I thought I had. I jumped straight over the other bed and I ran, still screaming, into June's bedroom, so grateful she still had her light on. She was sitting, calm as you like, winding her alarm clock. I must have looked different because she asked me if I was all right. And then I felt Joyce close in behind me. And I said, no, we weren't bloody okay. And hadn't she heard me screaming blue murder? And she said, no, she'd not heard anything. The last thing she heard was us coming up to bed about five minutes after she did. Well, I said, well, we're not going back in that room. But Joyce just seemed mute. Her eyes were wide and glazed with fear. June didn't seem at all concerned. She just suggested we all go downstairs for a cuppa. I don't know if it was by accident or design, but she led the way, and I'm glad she did, because none of us could believe what we saw. She opened the front door from the little hallway into the Leftovers. Or The DMV. Number 97. Or House Cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Leftovers. Or. The DMV. Number 97. Or. House cleaning. Or. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Living room. And it looked as though there'd been a break in. The first thing June did was check both outside doors. Both had mortise and yell locks still in place. And there were no signs of forced entry being used. Every light downstairs was on and every door was open, even the bathroom. Things were moved around in the kitchen, chairs were out of place and the flap on the old kitchen unit was down. Crockery and plates were on every countertop. The front room looked as though a bomb had gone off in it. A heavy fire guard had been tipped over, newspapers were scattered everywhere, heavy furniture had been moved position and the cushions had just been tossed aside. And it was only when she saw the scattered bird seed that June panicked. The cover had been pulled off the cage and thrown across the room and there were feathers everywhere. We got upset when we couldn't see the budger. But when June looked, he was sitting in the bottom of his cage, dithering. The poor bugger was missing a good portion of his feathers and was obviously scared nearly to death. We thought the bad stuff was at an end for the night. 
How wrong could we be? After a quick clean-up, we sat down for a cuppa. I asked June if she'd had weird stuff happen in the house before tonight, and she said she had. But she'd always put it down to the kids messing about. And then we heard the noise of the footsteps begin again. They went from the first step, past the very creaky fourth step, up onto the landing, and at this point, it got real for my older sister. I think she was fearing for the safety of her children. She took the stairs two at a time, but she found nothing. We still insisted that we were not going upstairs, so we began to play board games. I think Joyce was just still out of it, though. A little while later, we heard footsteps coming down, and it was Julie, and she was looking and acting really weird. We asked if she was all right, but she kept repeating, the old man keeps waking me up over and over again. Someone made a remark about not having time to do something and Julie asked, what's time? Not what is the time, but what is time? She had no idea of the concept that she owned a watch and at that point I decided to take her home as soon as possible. As it was beginning to get light, June tried to persuade us all to go back to bed but we didn't want to go up there despite the fact that she'd said she'd leave the light on and leave all the doors open. And then she came up with the idea of banking up the coal shovel on the fourth step. And that's where the coal hole was. And then she had a good rest of shovel against it. And if anyone came up the stairs and stood on the creaky step, the whole lot would slide and we'd hear it. Seemed like a reasonable plan, so we agreed. We hadn't been back in bed more than five minutes when the footsteps started again. And then we heard the racket made by the metal shovel and the sliding coal as it moved. We moved so fast we were in June's bedroom before the footsteps could get to the top of the stairs. We were washed, dressed, packed and outside waiting for 7am to come along with the first bus to Wakefield. It took Julie many months to recover from her experience. Joyce still slept with the light on until just a few months ago and we are now in our mid-60s. That's how much it had an effect on us. Here are a few extras about the house that you might find interesting. My sister June's experiences continue to get worse. My brother-in-law left his job after having an encounter with something while he was alone in the house after an afternoon shift. He got a taxi from South Kirby to Halifax where June and the kids were visiting and he stayed there with them. They never lived in that house again. The next door neighbour related to them the story of a newly married couple who came to view the house. When looking at it, the wife refused to go inside. She said she wouldn't cross the threshold. I'd like to thank Pat for sharing those experiences with me. Absolutely wonderful. And of course, I will be bringing you more as they come in. Now, in the northwest of England, there is a place known for its ghostly screams, running footsteps, wood knocks, shadow figures and the tommy knockers. The locals say the land is haunted by the miners who have lost their lives there over centuries. Weirdale and the Kilder Forest are dark places at the best of time. They do, however, have a haunting beauty to them. One visiting group of investigators had to leave the County Durham Museum after finding the experience too frightening. The trio left Killoak Lead Mine in Weirdale in the early hours of Sunday after hearing strange noises. Dean Maynard, Danny Jones and Ron Wilson 
had asked to spend the night in the north of England-led mining museum to raise money for a Newcastle-based charity. The three men are interested in the paranormal, so they brought along the high-tech equipment to photograph their orbs, thought to be the life force of many ghosts. But at 1am on, on the Sunday, they said they witnessed some orbs in what was the sleeping area of the mine, as well as hearing some eerie noises. The trio stuck it out until 3am, when a woman screaming in the nearby woods prompted an early evacuation. A spokeswoman for the museum said, we can assure visitors that although the museum may be spooky at night, there's nothing to fear in the day. The group of investigators were not the first team to be scared out of the area. I have a strange report that I took many years ago when I was first looking for experiences of the strange and the unexplained. I knew that the northeast of England and Bolham and Harwood and all of those places had a lot of Bigfoot reports. And I wanted to know if Bigfoot was flesh and blood, then surely we should have some footprint finds, you know. Uh, noises, if they, we're classing it as an animal, I think is what I'm trying to say. We should be getting animal reports and noises and things, and we do, we do. But I also always look for haunted woods that have a history of screaming, whooping or howling, because you just never know, do you? So I received a sighting from a lady named Kate C, and she was a founding member of a paranormal group in the north of England. And it was while chatting with her about what I do for a living that she suddenly looked at me and said, ah, that might explain a few things. And then she proceeded to tell me about this next encounter. September 2011, the group were planning a four-night stay in the Weardale Forest, commonly known as Killhope Woods, due to the nearby Killhope Mine. These areas are both classed as haunted, and many local tales tell of a screaming woman, tall dark figures that haunt the woodlands there, so they set off with the tech and equipment on a paranormal ghost hunt, which would last for a couple of nights. The usual setup was one person left at base camp and the others would stay together in a group. On the first night, the group heard one single loud knock off to the west of them. Hoping for ghostly interaction, they asked the usual questions, but they received no knocks or any unusual activity for the rest of the night. They settled into bed. And after about half an hour or an hour, they heard a blood freezing scream coming deep within the woods. They all got up, had a look around, but they didn't see anything unusual. The next night they went out, they started an EVP session and again they received nothing. They decided to investigate the area where the knock had come from on the first night of the investigation. After a bit of a walk, they reached the area and they once again knocked on a nearby stump loudly. To their shock and delight, they heard a reply, off in the distance, off to the north of their position. They were all happy about this and so they knocked again and received a further knock to the south. And this continued from the east and then the west, each knock being answered by further knocking, coming closer and closer to them. And it was at that point one gentleman pointed out that they were being surrounded and they really should move off. Realising they were then encircled by the knocking, it was coming from all around them on all sides and it got closer and closer. And as they huddled together as a group, they remembered that there was one man back at camp on his own. So they hurried back to camp as quickly as they could. They were all terrified 
and by 2am they were ready to leave. In agreement, they all packed up and just got ready to go. But the knocking didn't stop. They were plagued by it. The knocking was coming from around them in the trees at camp. And at this point, the lead guy who was out in front turned white-faced and said he'd just seen a tall, wide, dark, hairy human shape walking off into the woods in front of the group. The knocks continued as he packed up and left. I asked if I could speak to the team leader, but he was reluctant to share any details with me. To be honest, he was a bit off with me, I'll be, off, I'll be honest with you. Um, he said only that what he saw resembled a man, but it was far too large and much too quick. So it must have been a spirit of some kind and he wanted to leave it there, which I respected. Now we move closer to my home and a place I've visited many times. The shimmering thing of Wivenshaw Hall, a distinct, unhuman shape. Hi Deborah, these events took place in the early 1980s. I was primary school age, somewhere between 7 and 10 years old, which would have made the year somewhere around 1980, 1983, something like that. I had two sightings of this thing, both occurred at the same time and place and were exactly seven days apart. Both occurred around 9am on a weekday morning in January. There were two witnesses, myself and my childhood friend. We observed this phenomenon from the strange vantage point on both occasions. Also, on both occasions, the light and weather conditions were fine. Both days were frosty, cold and clear. We saw them from the top of the bus. The location of these events was South Manchester, specifically within Shaw Park. And although we were not in the park when we saw it, what we saw was... I'll explain. Once a week, my class would get on the bus and go to the local swimming pool for lessons, departing from the school about 10 to 9 or thereabouts. Most of the route to the swimming pool was along the east-west road, the A560. Sitting on the left side of the bus, I had a full view of the large park that this road runs alongside. Sitting together, my friend and I chatted idly while looking at the sparkling ground frost and the winter whitened trees in this large park which is normally something of an oasis in an otherwise fairly miserable area uh, of the town. Our bus became stationary at the traffic lights and we had a clear view of the central area of the park, which is home to a 16th century stately home and a statue of Oliver Cromwell. A fairly unusual feature, given that the person's role in local history this being deep winter, the greenery had long fallen and it allowed us a wide, unobstructed vista of the park. Striding between the statue and the house was a huge pair of bright white legs. The legs converged into the top that was no more than a blunt, irregular, centrally depressed torso. It kind of resembled the above gun portion of a molar. The legs tapered to points and they had no discernible feet and they had no knees or articulation of any kind. The leads were thick and they were not a solid white. They contained an off-white, slightly greenish irregular stripe and there was patches. And a shallow aura emanated from this thing. The stride was steady, smooth and more of a glide really than a walk. My friend and I watched from the bus as it moved across the space between the Oliver Cromwell statue and the old mansion house. The direction was east to west, opposite to the direction in which our bus was travelling. 
We both just stared, dumbfounded, until our bus moved off and we could neither see it, the house, or the statue anymore. Trying to describe it is hard. The top of this thing was roughly in line with the top of the statue plinth, which would have made it around nine, ten feet in height. And it was taller and wider than any large man would have appeared to us at that distance. Its shape was distinctly unhuman. There was no torso, no upper limbs, no head or face. It seemed to be missing half its body. The striding object shimmered and it was brighter than anything in its surroundings. But it was not solid. It did not appear to be internally illuminated by some kind of solid light. Some cyclists wear a whitish silver reflective jacket that flattens the light. That flattering effect is close to the light effect emitted by this entity. But as I mentioned, there appear to be patches of irregularity on its surface. The sighting excited my friend and me no end. We both felt overly exhilarated and fascinated. No dread sensations of menace or anything like that. All that day and every day until the next journey to the pool, we talked manically about the prospect of seeing it again. We called it the ghost. Sure enough, the following week, we did see it again. Every aspect of the second sighting was exactly the same as the first. Even the convenient idling of the bus at the traffic lights. And once again, the thing moved in the same way between the same points. Now, the stately home, Woodenshaw Hall, which this thing has been moving towards on both occasions, had, or perhaps has, a reputation for spectral activity. But what English country house doesn't? During the Civil War, it was the scene of carnage. The family were royalists and they resisted Cromwell's forces stubbornly. The legend is, after a lengthy siege, the Roundheads blew the door through with a cannon shot and massacred all who were left inside. But most of the family had by that time escaped through a tunnel to another house about a mile and a half away to the south. The existence of the tunnel has never been proven. But the story persists, and if there had been no ability killed there, records would surely have immortalised them. Now, dog walkers often report unusual behaviour by their animals when they're near the house, and I'm convinced, he said, that what I saw was no ghost, even though that is what our childish minds labelled it as. It was distinctly unlike anything human, in shape, colour or movement, in the moments prior to the second sighting, I felt a kind of crackling sensation of excitement, but no fear. We did not see it again, and I still have no explanation for this event. For a few years now, videos of so-called night crawlers have been circling the internet. I've watched them all. Naturally, I cannot say whether or not those videos are genuine, he says. But the appearance and movements of the beings in these videos whether they are hoaxes or authentically, it's the same, very similar to what we saw on those two occasions. The mornings on which we had our sightings were clear, they were bright, crisp, you know, dry, frost kind of day. The hall itself is an imposing timber frame medieval building built in 1540 by Robert Tatton of Chester. There's also a country park at Tatton, which has a report of a skulking creature in the grounds of Tatton Hall. A white lady is said to haunt Withenshaw Hall, and she has been seen by several different people. 
On one occasion in 1991, a visitor to the hall, along with her daughter, witnessed the white lady for themselves. They spent an hour looking around various rooms at pictures and the decor. And when they decided to walk downstairs, they went to view some bedrooms. And as they reached the top of the stairs, they heard what sounded like a woman sobbing. And she went to investigate. They noticed something out the corner of their eye. And they both turned to see a woman dressed in a long white dress, walked down the corridor and into one of the bedrooms. And they presumed it was a tour guide or a reenactment of some kind. They both followed the woman into the room to find it completely empty. They both thought there must be another door in the room somewhere leading out, but there was just the one. The woman had disappeared into thin air. Many believe the white lady is the ghost of Mary Webb. A former servant to the hall back in the 1640s, I nearly said 1940s then, 1640s. Her fiancé was one of the parliamentarians who besieged the hall. He apparently died by a shot from Captain Adams. And in revenge, she shot and killed him. And it is reported that the remaining soldiers took over the hall and shot her dead. And it's said that Mary can be heard sobbing and walking frantically from room to room trying to flee the soldiers and her oncoming fate. Staff have reported several strange sounds, including footsteps close to them, bangs and occasional gunfire. On one occasion, when two workers had just finished doing their rounds on the upper floors, they were heading downstairs when a large tapestry flew off the wall. It flew across the staircase and landed on top of them. They both got up as fast as they could, and they ran towards the library where the light was still on. Needless to say, they didn't stay at Withenshaw Hall much longer after that incident. Strange dragging and shuffling sounds have been heard coming from the library. When the sounds are investigated, they seem to stop, and nothing ever seems out of place. However, sometime in the 1980s, a warden discovered that the heavy bookcase doorway that leads to the servants' quarters was open despite him closing it earlier in the night. Also, a number of odd photographs have been taken in the library, showing unexplained figures, orbs and mists. I never overlook a coincidence. Serendipity can be a good way to find out something. It's normally a waypointer for me. One thing I've never shared with people is the place where I saw my weird creature in 82 also has a statue of Oliver Cromwell. And a white lady goes to boot. Along with Casper, the old caretaker, she's said to walk between the mansion and the old Summer Hill house. It too has tunnels under the home and the grounds of the park. The house I was next to had four huge stones, each with a different property. I always wondered if the stones are something to do with the weird phenomena that surrounds the house. Oliver Cromwell and John Dee has been a lifelong serendipity for me, John and his Scarlet Woman. I'd love to know if Dee spent any time at Withenshaw Hall while he was exiled up here in Manchester in the 16th century. There is a rumour that he stayed at the old mansion built in Beulil Hall, but that's yet to be confirmed. Our next ghostly experience comes from Hampshire and the lady who made the report is a BBR member. I would like to team up with some others for investigations if possible and you can find a link to contact me below. He looked like you could touch him. I'm still not sure what I saw. Hi Deborah. I've listened to your podcast the other night and it was one way you shared other people's supernatural experiences. 
you asked if people had experiences of their own and I wanted to tell you about mine that happened in the early 1990s. At the time this happened, I was riding my horse along a lane in Twyford, Winchester, which is in Hampshire. The horse, who was normally calm, started to play up a bit and he didn't want to go along the lane. I checked and I couldn't see anything that he would have been frightened of. As I was looking, a man came down the road and he was on a bike. And I would guess he was probably in his 60s. I apologised to him for my horse's behaviour, but he didn't acknowledge me in any way. He didn't even look at me, to be honest. And when he passed by my horse, my, my horse got better then. He started to behave normally, but I decided to go back to the stables anyway. I turned him around to head back and the man on the bike had disappeared. I didn't think much about this as there were two driveways on either side of the lane and he could have gone into either of them. But I didn't mention this to anyone at the time. A couple of years ago, I got a book that was about ghosts in the Winchester area. And I was surprised to see a mention of Twyford. The story that the book recounted was that of a 60-year-old man riding his bicycle in the same lane that I'd seen the cyclist. The man I saw looked solid and he looked like you could touch him. And I'm still not sure what I saw. When I was about 14, my grandfather passed away, but he came back to see me a couple of weeks after he died. I told my parents about it, but they did not believe me. He looked like a shadow with a grey mist around him, but I could see his features. I knew it was him. Grandpa was not solid, he was translucent. So I'm not sure if I saw a real person riding a bike because they looked very different to one another. The man on the bike looked real, but my horse was picking up on something strange at the time we saw him. Grandpa, on the other hand, was more see-through. But you can tell it was him. I would like to thank everyone who contacted me to report their experience. Each person that shares helps someone else come forward. I, for one, would like to ensure we give everyone a place to voice their truth. Until next time. Good night, everyone. If you want to hear more reports like this, read our articles and evidence finds. You can find them all using one of the handy links in the description below. Leftovers. Or Ch -ch 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 the DMV. Number 97. Or Ch -ch 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 House Cleaning. Or Ch -ch 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 -ch
Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.